Welcome everybody to our weekly Torah podcast. This week's Torah portion is Parshas Vayigash, and this podcast is dedicated in the memory of Mr. Herschel Pasternak, Harold Pasternak, Herschel Ben David, father of our good friend Michael Pasternak. The saga of Yosef and his brothers continues. Last week's Torah portion ended pretty much in a crescendo. Yosef, had, as the viceroy, had just accused Binyamin, the youngest of the brothers, the brothers that Yehuda himself had pledged to his father that he would guarantee his return. And Yosef had accused him of stealing his silver cup. And Yosef demanded that Binyamin remain behind as a slave. So the Posseg begins this week's Torah portion, Vayigash Elav Yehuda. Yehuda came forward towards Yosef. We find the word Vayigash, which means to approach, there's different connotations. One connotation is in a more sort of a reconciliatory type of a manner. He came forward with respect to the king and trying to do what he could to try to win him over that be able to send Binyamin back home. Elsewhere, we find the expression Vayigash, the expression coming forward with a strong, almost a strong type of a of an approach towards war, and that's the Yosef Yehuda is other coming forward to say to tell the viceroy that he would not accept anything other than anything else than Benjamin coming back, even if it meant that he's going to have to fight him and have to have to put him to death if necessary. So the posse tells us that Yosef plays along a little bit, and then when Yehuda finally mentions that you know you told us that we, that you asked us if we had about our father and about a young brother, and I told you that we had a father and a young brother that from, from his, his wife. His wife originally had two sons. One son was dead. This is the only son remaining behind, and our father loves him with all his soul. And there's no way we can go back home without our son, without our brother, without you, Benjamin. Spazik tells us at that point, Yosef could no longer restrain himself. He was unable to hold himself back. And immediately told everybody, all the Egyptians should leave the room. And nobody remained behind in that room besides Yosef and his brothers. And then Yosef tells his brothers, Ani Yosef, Ha'odavichai. And the Torah tells us, His brothers were unable to say a word because they were so astounded. They were, they were literally, they were floored. And then Yosef tells him, let's become a little bit more reconciliatory. Come, please come, come forward. You know, I know you're I'm Yosef, the one that you'd sold into slavery. And please don't, don't take it too hard. Don't, don't feel bad about it. Everything was part of a master plan. Hashem set the whole thing up in order for me to come here to be able to be in a position to support you. And when you come down to Egypt, you'll be able to be taken care of during the years of the famine. There are many things that we can understand that are difficult to understand in the whole story. It would seem to me that if the brothers, 11 brothers, knew that there was a brother that had been sold down to Egypt, they had not seen for 22 years, and indeed the rabbis tell us when they first came down, they went into different entrances to see if they can keep, if they can find him. And they came to, they came to the king, to the viceroy, and he seemed to know so much about them, about now, granted, they didn't recognize him, the Torah tells us, which in and of itself is difficult to understand because the Chazal tell us that Yosef was a spitting image of Yaakov. And granted, it's true that Yosef didn't have a beard when he had first left them at age 17. And now, 22 years later, he was he, was, he had a mature, he was much more mature and he had a, he had a beard. 
but it still seems kind of difficult to imagine how they couldn't recognize him. Not only that, but he knew so much about them. He knew everything about their father. He knew about their brother. He knew the, the, the order of, of, of their ages when he sat them down in front of him. And it, it, you would think that they would have suspected something strange over here is going on. But the brothers seemed clueless, totally ignorant. Till that moment, Yosef says, Ani Yosef, Odovichai, they literally, were, they, they, were, they were shocked. To the extent that they couldn't even open the mouth, they couldn't even say anything at all. How was it they didn't suspect anything? It just seems, I mean, obviously, Hashem didn't want them to understand. Hashem didn't want them to be able to put two and two together, which is an important principle we see also. That when Hashem doesn't want a person to understand something or to see something, no matter how clear it might be, it might be right in front of his face, he's not going to be able to understand it. We do find that idea, the Gemara tells us, regarding Tishub and the Tishub of Gomorrah, regarding the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, that when Yochanan and Zakkai made his way outside of the Eretz Yushlaim had been under siege that time, and the nationalists, the Bayonim, who refused to make peace with the Romans, they wouldn't let anybody leave. So Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai, through some, subtle, some, so, through some subterfuge, was able to sneak out. And he came to the, to the general, Vespasian, the Roman general, and the Roman general, he did him a favor. He foretold me he's going to become the king. And he, he actually, you know, he foretold him good at news that, that, he, that, was, that was borne out pretty quickly that it was true. And Vishbazian said, well, in, in, because you're such a wise man, because you've helped me out, I want to do something for you. Tell me what you want. I'll grant your wish. And you would have thought that any sane person under the circumstance would have said, spare the base of Megiddush. Spare the temple from being destroyed. But that's not what Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai said. He said, I only asked for three little things. Save me Yavma, Yavna, that was a city where the yeshiva was. Save me Yavna and his wise men. Bring me a doctor from Tzadok. And I want you to be able to spare the chain from, of lineage from David and Melech from the house of Rebbe Gamliel. That's all he asked for. And the one says that they, they seem with surprise. What's going on over here? It seems, like, it seems that when Hashem wants a person not to think clearly, they won't think clearly. It didn't enter his mind for some reason not to say anything, to, to, to say anything that to spare the base of Mikdash from being destroyed. Now, granted, there are other explanations over there too. He didn't want to ask for too much because he thought if he asked for too much, he wouldn't gain anything at all. The Talmud tells us, try to take too much, you're not getting anything left at all. But it seems also, the Gemara seems to be somewhat content with the idea that when Hashem wants, the wisest people can become foolish, so to say. They can't, they'll overlook the most obvious things. And that's something we see many, many times. It happened prior to the, to the Holocaust, when many great rabbis were able to see so clearly and such great understanding that many of them either didn't foresee the Holocaust happening or they didn't, they didn't warn their students and they didn't, didn't, didn't encourage leaving Europe at the time. Now again, there may have been other reasons too. But there's a, that idea, if Hashem wants something to happen, the most intelligent people Will, will miss out on the most obvious clues. That's what happened with Yosef. The brothers missed out on all these clues because it was not yet time for Yosef to be revealed. It was not yet time for them to come down to, to, come down to Egypt as for the exile to begin. <clears throat> There's an interesting medrash, famous medrash on this passage. The medrash says like this, Abakon Bartle used to say, Woe unto the day of judgment, woe to the day of retribution. The wise Bilam 
who knew so much, yet when his donkey opened up its mouth to him and said a few words, he was unable to stand up to the chastisement of his donkey. And similarly, Yosef was the youngest of the tribes. Yet when he opened up his mouth and said a few words of chastisement to them, the brothers could not stand up at all. They, they were floored. They couldn't say a word. And if that's the case, then how much more so will it be when a person is brought before the heavenly divine tribunal after he leaves this world? When the Almighty will chastise him for all of his actions, all of his sins they did during the course of his lifetime. How much more so can you imagine how, how, how silent, how quiet a person will be at that time, will be speechless at that moment of time? That's what the Medrash says. Now, first, you have to understand what exactly is the connection between Yosef's chastising with his brothers, that I'm the brother that you sold into slavery, and donkey's words to Bilaam. And for that matter, also Hashem's chastisement to the person on the way on the day of, final day of judgment. What's the connection exactly? Now, it could be an explanation is like this. As we just said, the brothers were clueless till the very last moment. They really had no idea that this man that seemed to know so much about them, looked seemed so strangely familiar was actually their brother Yosef. And Yosef opened up, and they thought all kinds of things. What's going to happen to us at all? He wants to sell, he wants, he wants to keep our brother as a slave, and we're going to get into a fight with him, and what's, what's going to be? What's going to, how's this going to work out? They had no idea how this was going to work out. But the last thing in their mind that they could have expected was for this viceroy to open up his mouth and say, Ani Yosef Odevichai. I am Yosef, my father is still alive. The words of chastisement came from the most unexpected of places. And when that happens, they were floored. They were speechless. They couldn't say a word. That's the same idea by Bilaam, too. Well, Bilaam was en route to, to go curse the Jewish people. And granted, he had received permission from the Almighty. Hashem had come to him in a dream and told him that he can go as long as he doesn't add anything out of his own, doesn't say anything of his own, only say what Hashem wants him to say. But then while he's riding, suddenly the angel appears in front of the donkey. Bilaam does not see it, but the donkey does see it. And the angel pushes the donkey one way, the pushes but another way, and Bilaam becomes upset and starts beating the donkey. Now we see Bilaam at this time was already in, in a rush. Bilaam actually was excited about the opportunity to go, kill, to go curse the Jewish people. Everybody tell us that the Torah tells us that he saddled his donkey all by himself, despite the fact that he was a very well-respected person at the time. He did it himself because he didn't want to waste any time. And all of a sudden now, the donkey's slowing him down. And he beats the donkey. He has no idea why this is happening exactly. I mean, it should have been quite obvious to him because the Almighty told him, I don't want you to say anything negative. I don't want you to say anything that I'm not going to put into your mouth. But Bilaam had in his mind, he had set in his mind, he's going to curse the Jewish people. And he was excited in a rush to go do this as soon as he possibly could. Now, what's happening? Why is the donkey behaving so strangely all of a sudden? He had no idea. But the last thing he could have imagined was that the donkey would turn around, open his mouth, and start talking to him. When that happened, despite the fact that the donkey was speaking rationally, what are you doing to me? Why are you hitting me? I didn't do anything different now than I ever did before. I'm the faithful donkey that I've had. I've been with you for all these years. That was the, that was the most unexpected thing that Bilaam could have ex, could have thought of, and that for that reason he was speechless. That's the same idea too. After 120 years, when a person leaves this world, and he comes before the Almighty, a person may come with all kinds of claims, all kinds of defense mechanisms, so to say, to be able to to be able to excuse his behavior. 
I mean, say, listen, Almighty, it's true, perhaps, you know, that I may not have done everything correctly. I may have sinned here, may have sinned there. But a person has builds up a defense. Perhaps a person might say, listen, I may have done something wrong, but all, of, all in all, it wasn't that bad. I have plenty of good things to show also. Compared to a lot of other people, I might have been wonderful. I might have been excellent. A person has a defense built up. It'd be frightening, though, on that day when Hashem turns to him and, and were the words of chastisement. Sometimes the chastisement would come from the most unexpected of places, not from the sins that you knew that you did. Sometimes the chastisement itself may come from the mitzvahs that a person thinks he did properly. And they'll tell, they'll tell him in heaven, no, that doesn't count at all. Imagine a person wearing tefillin, for example, every day since his bar mitzvah. For 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, he's been wearing tefillin. And then finally, on that day of reckoning, he comes forth and he says, Master of the universe, I may not have been perfect, but I was careful to wear tefillin every single day. And heaven will take a look at the person and says, did you ever get the tefillin checked? Those tefillin that you wore weren't even kosher. And what did a person think on that day? All those years I was wearing tefillin. I thought I was getting credit for it. I thought I had, I had, I had my defense built up pretty well. And it, what, what, what a disappointment that the tefillin didn't count because the tefillin weren't even kosher. He may have had good intentions, but the mitzvah, he doesn't get credit for the mitzvah. And other things along those lines too. Sometimes a person may think that I, I was careful about this, I was careful about that, I discounted and kosher, Shabbos, different type of mitzvahs that a person feels confident that will come on his, that will come to his defense, will come to help him. And the worst thing in the world is that forget the sins, but the mitzvahs that he thinks will help him. And heaven will say, no, you did that all wrong. That wasn't acceptable. This wasn't right. That wasn't done the right way. And that per- that time the person will be speechless. Sometimes the, the, the most difficult things come from the most unexpected places. And that's Abba Kwan Bartle is telling us, woe to the day of judgment, woe to the day of retribution. How careful a person has to be to make sure that the things that we do right are, are correct. Take a look over the Yosef, to look up Bilam. When the, when, the, when the chastisement comes from an unexpected place, there's nothing a person can say. His mouth is sealed shut, as it were. We want to make sure, heaven forbid, that shouldn't happen to us on the final day of reckoning also, for that matter. That might be part of the understanding over here, the, the clarity of understanding with Yosef and his brothers. You know, there was a message over there, as we said before. The story is not just a story about something, but an isolated story about a family, about Yosef and his brothers. There's something in that for us to take home, too. Abba Bartolo is telling us the whole saga and leading up to the Yosef revealing himself to his brothers. In some ways, that's an illusion to the way the person will appear before the Almighty in that final day of reckoning. And when we have, when we come like that, then it'll give us a it'll give us a sense of clarity. It'll give us a sense of being careful to make sure that we're prepared for that day when we come to the final day of, of final day of retribution. Have a great week, everybody. Well, God will be together again next week. Ever think about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today.